Hi everyone, this is Salil Tripathi. I'm a writer based in New York. And I'm Sadanand Hume. I'm a resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute and a columnist for the Wall Street Journal. And we both have a, an interest in India, among other places, besides, of course, Indonesia and many other places, yeah. Yes, so Sonal, I wanted to talk to you first about your article that appeared uh, last week in Foreign Policy, where you argued, convincingly in my view, that India is becoming a different country. Could you kind of quickly encapsulate what you mean by that? Right. I think what seems to be happening is that we all know that uh, India has always had terrible laws as far as human rights are concerned. It has a constitution that guarantees a lot of freedoms, but there are lots of caveats. And those caveats were there and it was run through a series of norms. And it's those norms that enable people to keep calling it the world's largest democracy, which it is in terms of form, but the substance is now weakening a lot. And a lot of the norms are getting uh, disregarded and uh, uh, dual standards are accepted at face value um, and uh, um, the media is there, but at the same time, it doesn't play the kind of role you expect it to play. In a democracy, you can't rely on the judiciary and so on. So, you know, I mean, you and I are largely on the same page on this question. Uh, I've written about these issues also in my Wall Street Journal column. But just for the sake of this argument to make it a little bit more interesting, let me play devil's advocate. And uh, I imagine that if one were sort of an ardent supporter of Mr. Modi, they would argue that, well, India is a great democracy. Hundreds of millions of people came out and voted for the government just last year. Uh, and this is all just sour grapes and you people don't like uh, Modi and therefore you're criticizing the democracy. How would you respond to that? So I would just say that we have to look at the effects, whether whatever the motives of the criticism are. I mean, we have some pretty drastic and pretty mean-spirited and callous instances of state abuse, right? We have an 80-year-old poet, he's a Marxist poet, whether or not he's a good poet is a bit different question, who has been in jail on these charges of... Uh, uh, which are under this uh, new act of uh, unlawful activities. And uh, he has had COVID, but he, wasn't been, he hasn't been given bail. We have another 83-year-old man who is a Jesuit priest working with the indigenous communities who has Parkinson's disease, can't hold a glass of water, but he's not being given access to a cup with a straw. Now, these are exceptionally callous steps, and there is absolutely no justification under any prison manual where these things cannot be improved upon. So the state is able to do it and get away with it. This is not to say that past governments weren't terrible. I mean, police brutality has been frequent in India. There have been custodial rapes, custodial murders, and so on. But these things are happening. To say that this is uh, merely uh, commonplace is weird. Well, if, if previous governments were terrible and this government is terrible, then what should we be worried about? We should be worried about the weaknesses of the norms, I think. And the very fact that the... Uh, those who should be hold these powers to account, whether it is the judiciary or the media, the fact that they are not playing that role is one problem. And that's where the, 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 the tra most tragic part, I think, is that the people who really fight for it, human rights defenders and social activists and lawyers, they are the ones going to jail. And there hasn't been much of a public sympathy or desire to do anything about it. So it's a rather bleak picture. It's like, it's like what you've been talking about, you know, one of the most important things in... Uh, uh, I mean, you know, in, in human life, love. And there is this law that is being passed, you know, which is going to make love almost illegal in Uttar Pradesh, the largest state you've just written about today. 
Oh yeah, I'm talking about the so-called idea of of love jihad, the sort of non-existent, absolutely batshit crazy conspiracy theory that unfortunately uh, large numbers of people seem to subscribe to right now, um, which basically defines uh, any instance of a Hindu woman uh, falling in love with a Muslim man as an act of religious warfare against Hindus by Muslims. Yeah, and uh, and but you know all that is part of a kind of larger anxiety as I see it and I think that a lot of these norms if we come back to the norms the norms themselves were norms that were embraced by a small elite right you look at the people who who crafted the constitution for instance and one of the things that we're seeing in India in my view is that some of these norms they were never very widely shared I'll give you just one freedom of conscience yeah right most Indians, or many Indians, certainly most BJP supporters, seem to believe that freedom of conscience is alien to Indians. So what do we do when the norms themselves are not deeply embedded in society, and the elites who try to kind of, in their flawed way, uphold those norms uh, are no longer the same people who are in charge? I think the the elite that have lost the game need to re-examine themselves. I think they need to relearn the game of talking and listening to the people who don't see them as norms. And do you think that'll be enough? Uh, that's a starting point. I mean, I don't know whether that'll be enough. I don't want to say India needs a new Gandhi or something like that, but that's the starting point. And how would you sort of quickly, you know, if you had to look at where India would be in, say, uh, a year or two, what's your best case scenario? A bleak scenario. Very, very bleak scenario. Well, on that note, I think it's